Again, welcome to Freedom, and let me say to those of you who are joining us online, uh, welcome. We're glad to have you tune in. Uh, it's so cool to know that uh, the Freedom family is not just the people who gather in this room, that there are people who uh, tune in every week. And uh, I want to give a shout-out to just a couple of people. We've got people in other countries who watch. Emily Furness in the U.K., we're always glad to have you tune in. And uh, Zoe, who uh, was an exchange student who was with uh, Dave and Nick for a year this past school year, and who, because of her work with them on the media team, would always do what you see on the screens every week. You may not realize this, but she does it from Germany every week, so that what you see on the screen. So, Zoe, a big shout-out to you. Thank you for always doing that. How cool is that? We do live in a global community now, as you, as you said. Well, it is, uh, it is really good to be back home with you, though it was nice to be away, but uh, truly do miss being with you. And uh, you better just buckle up, because after being out for two weeks, I am, I am cocked and loaded, ready to go. I've been fired up about uh, the message that I get to share with you today. If you uh, maybe haven't been with us for the past couple of months, I will tell you that we have been in a series that uh, is focused on the 23rd Psalm. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, you, you can do that. But uh, I would also ask you to pull out your outlines right now as we've been looking at a psalm that reminds us from start to finish of the goodness of God. A dozen different ways that David helps us to, to see in real practical experiences how God demonstrates his love and his goodness to us. Life can convince us otherwise if we're not really careful, can it? I mean, the experiences of life, when we think about the bad things that happen, the painful things that happen to us, and then we think about the fact that there is a God who is all-powerful, who's in control, and we, we sort of connect the dots and go, well, if God's all-powerful, if he's in control, and then I've had all these hurtful experiences, then maybe he isn't so good, or maybe he doesn't love me so much, or maybe he, he doesn't take care of me the way that I imagined that he would. Life can jack us up. Life can confuse us and lead us to these twisted concepts of what God is like. And David in the 23rd Psalm just does this wonderful job of reminding us of how good God is and of the ways that he specifically shows his love and favor to us. And today we're going to dial into one of those that is so encouraging. I hope today will be a day of both encouragement, but for some of us, a real day of life change. I believe that. I've been praying for that, that today is going to be a life-changing day for some. We're going to dial into just one line from the 23rd Psalm, and it is where David says this, You anoint my head with oil. You, you anoint me. That David said, The Lord anoints us. Now, that's one of those terms. That, have you ever noticed that in uh, church life, we've got these certain terms that we like to use that nobody out in the world has any clue what those words mean, but we sound spiritual when we use them, you know, and some of them are good, good words, you know, words like, you know, sanctified or justified that, that are great theological terms, but people out in the world typically don't have any idea what that means. There's a lot of Christian lingo that we'll throw around. And anointed is one of those words. It's a good word. It's a biblical word. And you'll hear people say, that, that is just an anointed man of God. That, that woman has an anointing on her life. And, and that's a great thing to say. But half the time, don't you feel like we don't really know what we're saying or we don't know what the person is talking about? It's like, well, I think it's good. I just don't know what it is. Well, when you leave today, you can't say, I don't know what it is anymore. We're going to really press into what does it mean to experience the anointing of God on your life and how do we get it? I want you to walk in it. I want you to know it and to live with it. So 
first of all, we just want to start with some fundamental questions like, well, okay, what are we talking about? What, what is this thing of, of anointing? All right, there's two things that we can be talking about when we talk about somebody being anointed. The first one, and you can follow along in your outline with this, the first one is an anointing by God. From the scriptures, there's two kinds of anointing, and, and the first one's the most important one. It is an internal anointing. We might define it as being when God's Holy Spirit gives you insight, ability, stamina, authority, or protection that you don't normally have in order to do a job that he's chosen you to do. This is God anointing you. You know, anointing is pouring out onto someone. Well, it is God in an inward way pouring into you what you didn't already have giving you strength, giving you stamina, giving you protection, giving you insight and abilities that you didn't ever have before, and God just pours it into you in a moment of time to accomplish a particular job that he has for you. That's God's anointing. Now, there's a second kind of anointing in Scripture, and that is the external anointing that we receive, and we might define that as being when, when someone, when a human prayerfully applies oil to your skin as an outward sign of what God is doing inside of you. Now, we might be tempted to sort of write that off as being, oh, well, that's not the important one then. That's just sort of the external symbolic thing. But, but don't be quick to write that off because I would remind you there are a lot of things that God has us do to and for one another that he uses as means and times where that becomes the opportunity for a profound inward thing to happen in us. I mean, think about the other things that God uses to do that, where there is both an external and an internal. Baptism is a great example. Is baptism the thing that transforms you from being a lost person to a saved person? No. Water baptism doesn't do that. doesn't turn you from a pagan into a Christian, does it? No, that's an internal work that God does when he puts his Holy Spirit in us and changes us. Baptism is an external thing, but something profound happens at baptism. Now, not all of us get this. Not all of us realize this, but something really significant happens when we do the outward symbol of death, burial, and resurrection, of having our sins washed away and coming out clean in the righteousness of Christ. I was changed inwardly by this thing that God did in my heart when I received Christ and his forgiveness. And yet I've seen it again and again in people's lives that when they do the outward act, the symbolic act, something else happens. Something else gets poured out in that moment. And even though they were already saved before they got in the water, boy, there was just an outpouring. There was an inward work as we did the outward symbol. Don't miss that. Another good thing is that we can picture is communion. We're really tempted to go, well, it's just, a, just an outward symbol that reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Oh, there's far more than that. It's not just about getting a little, little square of bread and a little cup of juice and going, okay, that just helps us to remember. Oh, it's far, far more than that. It started out as a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice, but by the time we receive it, that is not all it is. Because it has been consecrated and the Holy Spirit has now caused what was just bread and juice to become for us the body and the blood of Jesus so that we now experience this profound encounter with Jesus so that we don't just get a little bread and juice, we don't just get a little nutrition, but we receive Christ in real powerful ways that you can't see with your eyes, but you experience it. And it's crazy how many times people will get set free in the moment that they receive communion. They'll get set free from a demonic bondage. 
they will experience physical healing in communion. Why is it? Because they got the bread and the juice? No, because as they received those outward symbols, there was an inner outpouring that, ex- that happened for them. And life change happens. It's always life-giving when we enter into those things. I'll give you one other example. A Christian marriage. You know, we live in a time when people seem to be, just the culture in general seems to be continually diminishing the importance and the significance of marriage. It's like, ah, it's just sort of the government's stamp on our relationship to say, all right, you're legal, you can file your taxes together or whatever. And let's be really clear on that. The government didn't invent marriage. The heart of God did. God is the ultimate covenant maker. God is the one who created the institution of the family and of marriage. And that is why the church carries the authority to unite a man and a woman. But let's be really clear about that. It's not just a symbol where a holy man stands up and says, do you and do you repeat after me and I'll swap some rings and we'll call it done. And it was just a nice little ritual that we do. No, 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 no. It's not just a ritual. The scriptures say, and Jesus says that in a Christian marriage, God causes two to become one. That is an inner spiritual union. That is a a profound, mysterious thing that happens, and the government can't make that happen. A license does not make that happen. Only the inner work of the Holy Spirit can make that happen. But when does He do that? He makes this ritual that we do, this outward thing, where we exchange vows and we exchange rings and we make a commitment before God. And in the doing of that outward thing, there is an inner life-changing thing that happens. Anointing is the same way. God loves to pour out his anointing on his people. But it's interesting how much of the time he will let that be tied to the outward anointing. Where the body gets blessed, where others get blessed to see that in this moment of time an anointing is done. Where oil is put on the skin of somebody else prayerfully inviting this inner working that God's going to do. And oftentimes it'll be in that moment that something really transformational happens. So we, we see that a number of times in the Scriptures. We're going to look at some examples of that today. Just for a bit of context, I, I will point out to you that what you see in the Old Testament is a very specific pattern where there's only three kinds of people that ever get anointed in the Old Testament. Priests, prophets, and kings, and there weren't very many kings. I mean, in any generation, they didn't see many kings. So it's a real select group of people that get anointed, and it's a real select group that get to do the anointing. Only priests and prophets ever got to anoint anybody. And in fact, uh, among the Jewish people, it was illegal for ordinary people to have anointing oil in their homes. It's like, you ain't licensed for that. You, you don't get to do that. So you can't even have it in your house. The, the priests and the prophets could anoint others to be priests or prophets because that was an outward symbol that was a declaration of God's approval, of God's favor, and of God's spirit resting on someone to either be a prophet, a priest, or a king. And the prophets or priests were the ones who could set apart someone as a king. It's interesting that today, just in the world, that kings still get anointed. 
It is, I mean, that still goes on in multiple countries in the world today, that for a king to be set apart, they get anointed. It's an outward way of saying, yes, this is the one that God has chosen. This is the one who operates under the authority of God and the call of God to lead these people. Well, then Jesus comes along and he blows up the Old Testament system. What he does is he brings it to its fulfillment. And it's wonderfully different now. How did he blow it up? By changing the rules. It's no longer a select little group of people who are the only ones who get to carry the oil and who get to share the anointing. He says, now all of you in the family of God are a kingdom of priests. And so everything that the priest ever got to do, you now have the power and the authority and the anointing to do. So that old system, and so many times, we're without even realizing, we get drawn back into an Old Testament mentality like, oh, we've got a need over here. Somebody needs prayer. Somebody needs help. They need deliverance. They need healing. Somebody call the preacher. Oh, no, no. You are a priest. You're a kingdom of priests. You carry the anointing. You bring it. You bring what's needed because I don't have any more anointing on my life. I don't have access to anything more than what you do. So every one of us, as the priests of God, we all get to carry the oil. I, by the way, I carry it everywhere I go. I keep a little vial made just for that on my key ring. So wherever I am, it doesn't need to be in church. I carry the, the anointing oil because I expect God to give me opportunities to invoke an outpouring from him on somebody's life. So I'll slap it on them anywhere, anytime. I'm ready. We all need to carry that kind of mentality that says, hey, wherever I go, I'm God's priest. You go to the gym, you're God's priest in that gym. You go to work, you go to school, you are God's priest in that school. You, you, I mean, to me, it's not like, oh, I'm somebody special because i got a little vial of oil in my pocket. No, but it helps to remind me. I'm his priest on the spot. It doesn't matter whether somebody recognizes that about me or not. God recognizes me. God has anointed me, and he's anointed you for where you are. To bring that to bear, isn't that good to know? You carry that. It's yours to share, not just yours to give you a warm feeling. So today is all about what it means to live a life anointed by God and how to how to operate in that. But now I've got to say on the front end, to enter into that, we've got to go back to the basics and one really key thing. If you want to learn to walk in God's anointing, you have to get back to the fundamental thing of calling. We talked a lot about this in the past year. Churches like to focus on trying to identify the gifts of God and the spiritual gifts that we have, and that's a very important thing. But if if you focus on gifts and you don't also focus on calling, it's not going to do you much good. Because God, God doesn't just gift you so you can go, oh, well, now I'm special. I have gifts. If you don't have gifts plus calling, what's the point? God has a calling. He has multiple callings for your life. These are the things that he has set you apart for. And I know people get frustrated when we talk about this because I hear people say it all the time. Like, oh, I just feel so lost. I just don't know what my calling is. First of all, Let's take some of the pressure off. There's not one calling for your life. God's going to call you to a variety of different things. And there will be different callings for different seasons of your life. But you're going to have to get to the heart of some of God's callings for your life if you're going to walk in that anointing because his anointing is tied to your calling. 
God doesn't anoint you to go and do whatever you want to do. He anoints you for what he has called you to do. And so it's going to be really important for you to hear from him and to see what it is he's calling you into because the anointing is going to flow with you embracing that calling. Are you with me? When you recognize your calling and you start stepping into that, woo, now we're stepping into the flow. Paul said in Ephesians 2.10, God has made us what we are. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing. God didn't make you to just figure out something you want to do and say, well, I hope God's going to bless it. No, he made you with a, a very specific DNA, a specific personality, a specific set of gifts, but also a unique set of experiences so that you are going to fit just right with the things and the people and the places that he's going to put you so that now you are just going to make a big difference as you walk in his anointing. But the catch is this. The things that he's called you to do, you can't pull it off. Not on your own. You're not going to be smart enough. You're not going to be skilled enough. You're not going to pull the trigger at the right times. In the flesh, you wouldn't be able to do it. You're going to have to walk in his anointing, in his supernatural empowerment, protection, supernatural insight to do it. So you're going to have to begin to recognize the call of God and walk in that and walk in his power in order to accomplish what he's called you to do. So having said that as the groundwork, I want to talk to you about five specific things, five facts about God's anointing. And then I want to conclude by just pointing out very briefly a couple of different specific types of anointing that we can experience in life. And then we're going to have some time for ministry and for people to be anointed and prayed for. So first of all, five facts about God's anointing. The first one is simply this. When God appoints me, he anoints me. Say it with me. When God appoints me, he anoints me. One more time. When God appoints me, he anoints me. That is good news. Because you don't have to wonder, well, what do I have to do to, to get in on what God wants to pour out on me? How do I know I'm going to walk in God's power? If God called you to do it, he's going to empower you for it. With the calling comes the anointing. God's never going to just call you to go try something and do it in your own energy. He's going to give you new power, new energy, new insight, new strategy, new connections to accomplish what it is that he's called you to do. Now, I get it. A lot of times when we begin to recognize God's calling on our lives, we want to tuck tail and run, don't we? Have you ever experienced that? I guarantee you I have, because when you start recognizing what God's called you to, usually the first gut-level response is, oh, no, I can't do that. I, I couldn't begin to do that, which is, in one sense is very right. You probably can't. I probably can't. It's going to be a God-sized thing many times. Remember the words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5:24: The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. If he calls you, he's the one that's responsible to bring the power and the resources to bear to make it happen, and he will do it. I could give you any number of great examples of that, but I'll just mention a couple of them. Think about the different sendings in the Gospels, like in Matthew 10 and in Luke 9 and Luke 10. When Jesus would take, he did it with the 12, that he'd send them out two by two, and he did it with the 72 when he would send them out two by two. 
And it was a real simple commission, a real simple job. He said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out in pairs, each of you to a different community. And all I want you to do when you get there is to heal the sick and to cast out the demons that are in people and to preach the message of the kingdom of God. Ready, set, go. And they're all looking at him, I'm sure, like, you've got to be kidding me. We've never done this. We're not public speakers. We're not doctors. And we're sure not witch doctors that can cast out demons. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus is saying, this is your calling. By the way, this is still the calling of the church, the threefold ministry of Jesus. Healing the sick. Delivering those who are in bondage. And delivering the message of the kingdom that brings people from darkness to light to, to the family of God. And he says, you go and do those three things. And I can just imagine every one of these pairs walking out with their heads down, looking at each other like, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. Jesus is the only one who has the power to do this, which is pretty much how church people today feel, right? I mean, if we said today at the conclusion of the service, here's the deal. The rest of the day, you go out on the streets, you go out into Fairhope and Daphne, and all you need to do is heal the sick people, cast out demons, and everybody you encounter that's got a demon, and you preach the message of the kingdom of God. How many of you are going to go, I'm ready! Let's go do it! I think some of us are going to be like the disciples. I don't know that I could do that. They went out so unsure... But the scripture says in Luke 10, they came back having a pep rally. Jesus, you're not going to believe this. It's incredible. It worked. We didn't think it would work, but it worked. In fact, here's the crazy thing. Even the demons yield to us in your name. It's crazy. And Jesus goes, yep. And you know what? I was even there when Satan himself was cast out of heaven. And so it's no surprise that when you go in my name and you speak, that they yield as if it was me talking. It still works today, by the way. With the calling came the anointing. Even though they probably, I doubt there was a single one that believed it. Even Peter, who was willing to try anything, is probably feeling pretty half-hearted the first time that he tried it. This ain't going to work. This ain't going to work in Jesus' name. Come out. And they're set free. And Peter's going, wow, this baby's loaded. (laughs) With the calling comes the anointing. In Acts 1, Jesus is going back to heaven. They're not going to lay eyes on Jesus again. And in Acts 1, 8, as he is about to take off like a rocket ship to heaven, and he says, guys, here's what I want you to do. Here's your calling going forward. You're going to be my witnesses. First in Jerusalem. And then in Judea and Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. I want you to go throughout the earth doing the same ministry and delivering this message of salvation, forgiveness and freedom in my name. That's impossible. There's only a handful of them. I mean, a teeny tiny handful of them. And they don't have the internet, and they don't have jet planes, and they don't have the modern conveniences of travel and communication. That's impossible. And yet God made a way for them to take the world to the nations so rapidly that by the end of the first century, this is only 70 years later, 4% of the population of the planet had already come to faith in Christ. The gospel is already going intercontinental in one generation. It's impossible. But with the calling 
came the anointing. Now they're still, I'm sure they're standing on that hill going, when's he coming back? I mean, this has been a blast, but it ain't going to work with him up there and us down here. Jesus said, you wait. You wait and pray for the other piece. For ten days they waited and prayed. Ooh, it was starting to get stuffy up in that upper room, don't you know? Somebody's needing a bath. Somebody's needing some something. They've been in the upper room waiting and praying, and nothing's happening, and then the ground starts to shake. And it starts sounding like a wind. It's starting to sound more like a hurricane or a freight train. What did they say back then when there wasn't a freight train to compare it to when the wind blew anyway? It's sounding loud. It's getting shaky. Now there's tongues of fire. The Holy Ghost has come and suddenly they step out into the middle of a crowd that has come from all around the Mediterranean. They're surrounded by people whose languages they can't even speak. How are you going to take the gospel to the nations? And suddenly, in one day, a little group of 120 people have the power of the Holy Spirit. They can talk in every language represented all the way around the Mediterranean. Suddenly, after Africa, Asia, and Southern Europe are all going to be touched in one day. Because the power of the Holy Spirit has descended and they're declaring the wonders of Jesus in every language. How does that happen? Because with the calling comes the anointing. So whatever God has called you into, there is an anointing that goes with it. You, you may look at it and go, well, that isn't possible. You can't do that. 120 people who all just speak Aramaic can't minister to this crowd. Nope, not in their flesh. But when the Holy Ghost starts blowing, that's the anointing of God. Suddenly, everybody can be touched. Wow! When He appoints you, He also anoints you. Good news. Number two, God's anointing makes me a better person. Somebody say, thank you. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Here's the hang-up. I mean, we all know what this feels like. We start talking about what God wants to do and embracing God's calling for your life. We all get hung up on the same thing. We start to catch a little glimpse. We start dreaming of what God may want to do through us. And immediately, either our flesh or some demon assigned to us starts going, there is no way. There is no way God would do that through you. You know what you've done. Yes, I do know what I've done. I mean, it's the problem for every one of us. Nobody knows your screwed up stories like you do. You, you know some of my failings. You don't know all of them. I mean, they are well rehearsed in this brain. And so those feel like the limitations of, I mean, God couldn't do a lot through me because of all of my failures. Here's the crazy, wonderful, incredible thing. The anointing of God makes you a better person. First of all, he didn't pick you because you were good enough. He picked you because of the righteousness of Jesus that now covers you so that when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his only son. Ooh, that's a good start. But we all understand we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, but that righteousness is still covering a pretty rotten old heart in here. Anybody else got that sickness? Oh, goodness, yes. We all do. I mean, it's not just the stuff I've done in the past. It's the garbage I still carry around with me. I mean, now I'm getting really dangerously honest, but I'm like, do, do you ever do what I, I do? In, I hate to tell you this. 
There are moments I will be in here just my soul so alive, so refreshed in the middle of worship. And then some little part of me is going, do you realize the weirdness of this? That just a little while ago or just earlier this week, your old rotten heart was so wickedly thinking this or saying that or wanting this, so selfish, so fleshly. So, and here you are just, oh, just enraptured in love with Jesus. And do you ever just in the middle of worship feel this, this crazy divide? Like, I think I'm two different people. I'm this man who loves Jesus and just wants to live for Jesus. And yet I'm this selfish little so-and-so that's so full of myself. All wrapped into one. God knows that. All of that's covered by the righteousness of Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, but I know what's underneath the covering. And that still feels like a big limiting factor. I need some help down in here. And that's the incredible thing. The anointing of God doesn't just cover you. It reaches down inside you and it changes you into a better person. And we all get this. I mean, sanctification is a long-term process. When we say sanctification, we're just talking about the process of becoming what we were to becoming like Jesus. And that is a lifelong process. But we need some bumps that jump us ahead a ways, don't we? I mean, don't, don't you just need that little, come on, come on, move the ball down the field moments where it's like, oh, this is taking forever. I need God to just move the ball on down the field. The anointing of God does it. it. Like there are there are just times where it's just, whew, I think I just moved forward a ways. And it's not like pat yourself on the back because you realize when it ever happens, it's like, I, I couldn't make that happen. I've been trying to get this out of my system for a long time. But the anointing of God comes on you and suddenly you look back and go, my wants have changed. I, I'm not stuck thinking about the same things I was thinking about. My... My attitude has changed. I'm, I'm suddenly more loving. I'm suddenly more patient. I'm suddenly more hungry for the things of God. I'm suddenly wanting to be generous instead of spending more money on me or whatever it is. And I can't make that happen because I've tried for years and it don't work. The things that are broken in me tend to be really slow to get fixed. And yet there are times where we step into the next thing God has for us and an anointing comes on us and it's like, wow, in a moment of time, I, I'm changed for the better. It's true. It's a biblical concept. Paul talked about it with Timothy. Timothy was a young man. He still had issues to deal with in his life. And he struggled with the calling to be a pastor as such a young man. And when Paul wrote Timothy, he said, you don't worry about your age. You don't worry about your youth. I want you to be an example for the believers in life and love and speech and faith and purity. And Timothy, you remember. You remember what happened when the body of elders laid their hands on you. There was an outpouring that happened, Timothy, on that day. You walked away with gifts and anointing that you had never had before. You've been a different man since then. You walk in that, Timothy. Timothy was already a saved man. But there was an anointing that came on him when the elders prayed for him and put their hands on him. See, there's an outward and an inward thing that's going on. The Old Testament gives us a great picture of this in 1 Samuel 10. The people have been begging for a king and God finally says I'm going to give you a king for the first time ever you're going to have a king in Israel and so he chooses their first king and he chooses Saul now Saul was a big guy in that one respect he looked like he could be a king he looked like he should be playing in the NBA 
But on the inside, and just in terms of his personality and all, he didn't seem like he'd be a good king because he wasn't a courageous person, wasn't a deeply spiritual person per se, he wasn't like a prophet or something. And I mean, he was the kind of guy to shrink back and to hide out to try and avoid having to deal with stuff. But God called him, and when God appoints you, he anoints you, and so God sends his, his prophet Samuel to go and anoint him. And we read in 1 Samuel 10, Samuel took a jar of the special oil and he poured it on Saul's head and Samuel kissed Saul and said, The Lord has anointed you to be the leader over the people who belong to him. You will save them from the enemies that are all around them. That's a very good thing for a king to do in ancient times. He has anointed you to be the ruler over his people. The Lord's Spirit will come on you with great power. That's what happens with the inner anointing. But here's the key. You will be changed. You will be like a different man. You will begin to prophesy with these prophets. And after that happens, you can do whatever you choose because God will be with you. Isn't that cool? I mean, Samuel just, uh, Saul just, just had all of these weaknesses and failings in his life. But when God called him and sent Samuel to anoint him, he said, I want you to understand the Holy Spirit's going to come on you and it's going to be like people don't even know you anymore. You're going to be such a different man. You've never been one to prophesy. That hasn't been your crowd. That hasn't been your gifting. But you're going to operate like a different man because when God anoints you, you become a better and a different person. Praise God for that. The third thing, God's anointing makes difficult tasks easier. Thank goodness for that. And the reason is simple, because it's not just my power at work anymore. It's God's power at work. It's the difference between me having to do it all and God using His power, just doing it through me or doing it through you. I like to think of it in these terms. I mean, when God adds His piece to the equation, it's not just addition and it's not even multiplication. It's an exponential factor. I mean, think about whatever it is that God may be calling you to do. And if you evaluate yourself in terms of, well, how good would I be at doing that? I mean, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. So one of the things I know God has called me to do is church planting. And if I'm honest, especially early on, but even now, you know, as a church planter, over the course of my life, how would I rate my own abilities as a church planter? I'd have to be generous to say, you know, maybe a six at best, on a scale of 1 to 10? Because you see, I'd never been a part of a church plant growing up. My training in seminary wasn't as a church planter. So if I was generous, I'd say, okay, I'm a 6. But then God calls me to be a church planter. So what does God do to a 6? Oh, He adds exponential power to it. So He'll take a 6... And he, he, won't multiply, he won't add six more to it, or he won't just multiply it by six. God will say, I'll make you a six to the sixth power. You want me to go ahead and do that? Do, do you remember ex, exponents in uh, algebra? You want me to go ahead and do the math for you? You know what six to the sixth power is? It's 45,656. God will take a six, and he'll make it to the sixth power. What are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Well, on my own, maybe I'm a 6 on my best day. But when God gets in me, I'm a 45,656 on a scale of 1 to 10. Somebody say yes and amen that you're ready for God to add a little exponent to your abilities. He makes hard things easier because His power suddenly fills you. And suddenly things just happen. 
Ephesians 3.16, from His glorious unlimited resources, He will empower you with inner strength. Everybody say inner strength. With inner strength through His Spirit. My energy, resources, talent, and wisdom are limited and so are yours. His are not and He wants to fill us with this. Let me ask you this question. In practical terms, how do you know whether you're operating in God's anointing or just in your own strength? How can you tell the difference? Because sometimes it gets tricky, especially when you've done something long enough that you have developed some skills. Isaiah, you know what I'm talking about here, don't you? When you've done something long enough, now something you used to not know how to do, but you've actually gotten pretty good at it. You can fake the anointing for a little while, can't you? You, you can... You can do it in your own abilities to the point that you can usually even fool some of the people around you to think you're operating in the anointing. And oh, by the way, this is a trap for ministries. Pastors and Christian leaders who have operated under the anointing of God and who start letting some things slide, doesn't mean that they've fallen into moral corruption altogether, but they cease to depend on God. They they develop a skill set. They learn how to do some things that mimic the work of God and in time you'll wind up with a ministry that has the outward appearance of the anointing but it lacks the power because we've just learned how to how to be good at some of the things that we used to have to depend on God's power to do so how do you know whether you are operating in the anointing or not I'll give you a couple of tips one of the first signs is you stay tired a lot. You're just always worn out because you're always having to solve your own problems. And at the heart of things, you don't see a lot of real lasting fruit from your energies. You're having to work harder and harder and you're, you're, you're feeling more and more burned out and exhausted all the time because you're having to do what God used to do. That's a pretty good sign that I'm no longer operating in anointing. That I'm, And here's one of the questions we need to ask ourselves. When I'm up against the challenges, and don't get me wrong, there's still gigantic challenges when you operate in God's calling and anointing. Absolutely. And they still look daunting. But the thing that I've got to figure out is, am I, when I face those challenges, am I operating off adrenaline or off of anointing? Because some of us are great at getting ramped up for the challenges. And we are adrenaline junkies. And we will take our abilities and our adrenaline. And we will we'll take, we'll charge the biggest hill. But we're always thinking about quitting. Because we're always so tired. Is it adrenaline that keeps you going? Or is it anointing? Because there is a big difference. Anointing doesn't run out. When we operate in anointing, then we can say what Paul said in Philippians 4.13. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. So if you had to fill in the blank, I can do all things through fill in the blank. In reality, how do you fill it in? Is it I can do all things through my charming personality? I can do all things through my people skills. I can do all things through my financial skills. I can do all things through my financial resources. I can do all things because of my education and my great 
work pedigree. I'm great at what I do. I can do all things through that. I mean, some of us have operated in some version of what I just said for a long, long time. We got where we are because we have learned to do all things through networking and personality and, and skill set as opposed to I can do all things through Christ. And it's His anointing that empowers me to tackle whatever comes along. By the way, I'll just say this as an aside. When, we, when you read about Jesus in the Scriptures, what, is the, what are the terms that are most frequently associated with Jesus other than the name Jesus? Christ and Messiah, right? I mean, we, we almost think that's his last name, Jesus Christ. But, you know, Christ and Messiah, the, the terms for who and what Jesus was, Christ is the New Testament term in Greek, that is basically just the translation of the Old Testament, the Hebrew term Messiah. So when you read Messiah or you read Christ, it's the same word just from two different languages. You know what that word means in both languages? It means the anointed one. The, the ultimate designation of who and what Jesus was, he is of the Christ. I mean, when Jesus, in, when he took the disciples away for their little retreat time up to the north and said, who do people say that I am? Now, who do you say that I am? And when Peter nails it, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one of God. Jesus op always operated in the anointing. That was what marked him was the anointing of God on his life. The, the fourth thing. God's anointing makes the impossible possible. Jesus told his disciples what is impossible for people is possible with God. And God is going to call you to do things that seem that you cannot possibly do them. Now, I love to dream big. And I do dream big. And I love that the scripture reminds me again and again that God's plans are bigger than my dreams. That's pretty thrilling because I've got some big dreams. Ephesians 3.20, with God's power working in us, with what? That was weak. With what? God's power working where? In us. God's power in us. God can do much, much more than anything that we can ask or imagine. Can we just bring this thing home for a moment? We've been talking for months and months about, among other things, that God may be calling Freedom Church to plant a church or churches in Nigeria. That sounds crazy and impossible in so many respects. I mean, when I started saying to you a couple of years ago, God has spoken over this church that he is calling us to be a church-planting church. Let's be real honest with each other. Look around the room. You can literally do this. This is audience participation time. Look around the room. There's not 5,000 people in here. I'm not going to use evangelistic numbers. We're not somewhere under 3,000 here today. If we're under 3,000, we're way under 3,000. This is not the number of people that when they're training you to be a church planter that you would look around and go, that's how many you start with when you're going to plant churches. You get a bunch more people than what we have here today. I'm not trying to knock us down. I'm just trying to be honest with you. You look at us and we're... 
a little bit like you know Gideon's army in the Old Testament when it got whittled back. We're, we're, we're whittled back already. And you look around and go, this is not the size group that you want to get to before you start talking about planting. You want to grow it to a bigger number before you start talking about planting. And God said, no, we're not going to wait until then. I'm telling you now, you're going to plant. You're going to plant in the U.S., but you're going to plant internationally. And I shared that with you a couple of years ago, and I'm thinking, I don't have any idea how we do that. I hope maybe God just like bring somebody else in or maybe he lets me retire someday and somebody else can lead in that because I don't have a clue. And now God starts putting it on Isaiah's heart and putting it on our heart at the same time. And we're still looking around going, but God, we don't have the resources. How much money would that take? There's all this distance. We don't know how to do that cross-culturally. But God is the one who makes the impossible possible. God is the one who looks at all of those things and says, I've dreamed bigger than what you dream. You may dream of reaching a few people. You, you may dream of growing this to the point that you have to have two services. And God's going, I'm not trying to figure out how to grow you to the point that you have two services. I'm dreaming in terms of how you impact nations and continents. And I know some of us are like, yeah, that sounds good. We're just still trying to muddle. No, God isn't limited by numbers. God looks around and says, I'll take a handful of hearts. I mean, how many people were in the upper room? There's a little bitty group of people that said, I'll touch the whole world through you. We'll reach all the nations through you. God looks at a little group of people and says, you fully surrender to me. You embrace my calling for your life. And there is an anointing for you. It'll touch the nations. Continents will be shaken because of that. He'll do it. He will do it. But we can't shrink back. And the final thing that I'll say about it is this. God anoints my life. God anoints your life to bless others. I think so many times when we hear people talk about an anointing, an anointed life, a, a life of favor, that we think, oh, I would love to walk in that. I'd love to have that. And if you could just strip it back to its core, that there's a selfish motive behind a lot of that. Like, oh, I would just love, I'd love to get in on it. I'd love to feel that. I'd love to experience that. But understand this, that the heart of God's anointing is always about blessing and ministering to other people. There are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah, the anointed one that God would send that would save the world. Probably the most significant one, certainly in the minds of, of Jewish people who were trying to figure out who is this guy, when is he coming, how will we recognize him. Probably the, most, the single most significant descriptive prophecy about him is the great messianic declaration of Isaiah 61. These are familiar words for us because they get repeated by Jesus at the inauguration of his ministry in Luke 4. Isaiah said this, speaking what Jesus would say. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. What is that? That is anointing. The Holy Spirit is poured out on me. God's anointing. For the Lord has anointed me to do six things. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor because they desperately need it. They're so oppressed. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. Have you ever been brokenhearted? Have you ever been crushed? Feeling like you can't go on? So, oh, there's an anointing to heal those broken hearts. 
and to proclaim that captives can be released. He's not talking about going in and emptying the prisons. He's talking about people who are living in a different kind of prison. They're in bondage to an addiction, to a behavior, to a relationship that is destroying them and they can't figure out how to get out of this thing. And he says, but there's an anointing that I can free you from that. And for prisoners to be freed. People who live in the prison of demonic bondage. They can't even control their own thoughts. They can't even control their own feelings because there is an unseen enemy who's been there so long. He's bringing depression or anxiety or confusion or fear all the time. And it's like a prison for them. And he says, I have an anointing that will free people from that. And he has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. People had waited for generations for a season of favor, having lived in times of darkness. And he says, oh, I'm going to be able to declare for those so discouraged, favor, favor, favor from the Lord. And to all who mourn that he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, and festive praise instead of despair. In Luke 4, at the outset of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus is in the synagogue as is his weekly thing that he did. And as they would typically do, one of the Old Testament scrolls is brought out to be read for the people's hearing. And on this day, Jesus gets to be the reader. And of all things, he's handed the Isaiah 61 scroll. And Jesus stands up and reads, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to bring release for the prisoners. And He just goes right on down the line and declares everything that Isaiah had said that the Messiah would do. And when He's finished, He rolls the scroll up and He says, Today in your hearing, these words are fulfilled. Because the anointing is on me to do all of that. He didn't come to say, come and cheer for me. I'm the Son of God. Give me praise today. No, He said the anointing is on me so that I can go out and where people are just broken hearted. They're crushed by what life has done to them. He says, I'm going to touch them at a level that nobody else can touch them. And they'll be restored and they'll have hope and joy again where they thought they could never feel it again. And people who are in such an oppressive system that it seems that poverty and all that goes with it, no education, no opportunities, that they're going to be crushed by that. But I'm going to bring good news to the poor that's going to lift them out and it's going to bring them justice. People who are in bondage to things they could never get free from, I'm going to just set them free in a moment of time. And for the first time. They're going to be able to think clearly. They're going to be able to feel what God intended for them to feel. And they're going to have the power to control their behavior and their relationships for the first time. Right on down the line. The anointing of God is not about making you feel better. It's given so that you can touch other lives. And don't expect it if you're not willing to be stretched to invest in other people. It's costly and it's messy, isn't it? Because the people that need it, what are they like? They're poor. They're depressed. They're discouraged. They're afraid. They're in bondage. They're doing things they shouldn't be doing, and they're feeling terrible about it. Sally, it sounds a little bit like CR, doesn't it? It sounds like church is what it sounds like. 
It's just in CR we get a crowd that's honest enough to go, yep, we're broken and we need the help. On Sunday morning we cover that up and act like, well, those people need help. We'll pray for them. We all need help. We're all those people. And it's only the people that God has helped and changed that can understand and begin to reach out and shepherd and minister to the others. It's so real. And it's so good. And there's so many ways that God wants to express this. I'm I'm just going to mention two and I'm done. Two examples of the anointing of God. The first one is just, I'll just say very simply, is this, that when God anoints your business, it brings success. Anybody want that kind of anointing? It happens. It's very real. And, And bear in mind, we think of the anointing of God as just being something, oh, he's going to give that to missionaries or preachers or worship leaders. No, there's an anointing of God for all different kinds of callings. God's calling for your life. Stone over here can be in the air conditioning business. Don't you want God's anointing on stone cold cooling, heating and cooling? Well, absolutely. You know what God's primary calling on my dad's life was? To be a pharmacist. To be a Jesus-loving, God-honoring pharmacist who sought to serve every one of his customers as if he were truly there to serve them and who interacted with each of his customers himself. I watched him do it for 40 years. He had an anointing as a pharmacist. And he started from scratch. I still remember. I was a preschooler when he started. He rented a pecan warehouse on Main Street in Brundage, Alabama. And it looked like a warehouse. It's a storefront that had been used by the seed and feed store next door as a pecan warehouse. And he sensed the call of God on his life to try and put a pharmacy in a pecan warehouse. He didn't have money. He didn't have backing. He had the calling of God. Now, there's not some story of church planting out of this. We've got to stop thinking in terms of there's got to be some church, some grand story. For 40 years, he operated in the calling of God, and God gave him success in what he did. He impacted lives. He didn't become a rich man, but he was able to provide for a family. And I, I get to enjoy the benefit of that. When God's anointing rests on your business, there's success in favor that goes with that. The second example that I'll give you is this. When God anoints your body, it brings health. Anointing for healing is one of the most common practices that we find in the New Testament. And we're authorized to do this. And the outward anointing is a symbol of the inward transformation that God is doing. Now, as I said, it's one of the three primary ministries of Jesus and the disciples. For example, in Mark six thirteen, it says, The disciples anointed with oil those who were sick, and people were healed. Now, I know we get kind of hung up on the issue of sickness and healing. And it, it can feel complicated. Let me just quickly point this out. When somebody's sick, it's one of three kinds of sickness. I want you to think about this. There's three different kinds of sickness that people will get. First one, we could call this... It's sickness for learning. And this is important in our lives. That God will use sickness to get our attention and to teach us a lesson. And sometimes it can just be a real fundamental thing. Some of it can be learning like where we've just been making foolish choices. Where I just eat like a good old deep south pig, you know, and, and just don't care about what I eat. And I don't ever exercise and I don't care myself, take care of myself and I get sick because of it. And God's saying... I want you to take better care of your body. And, you know, he can use sickness to teach me that if I'm going to suck smoke in and drink alcohol all the time and eat like a pig and don't exercise, I'm going to get sick. 
You know, there are those kinds of sicknesses, but there are other kinds of sicknesses for learning where God will let physical pain or a physical disorder remain present until we come to recognize that God is using that exterior or that, that physical manifestation of pain to point us to a spiritual problem that has to be addressed, and we've got to get forgiveness or set something right before we can experience physical healing. There is sickness for learning. Are you with me on that? We can do a deeper teaching on this on another day. There's sickness for learning. There's a second one. This one isn't going to make you smile, but it's true. And that is sickness, and the point is death. There's sickness for death. And unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime, everybody's going to get it. You're going to experience something that's going to lead to your death, and that's because of the mercy of God. You want to end up in God's presence. Well, you've got to die to get there unless you're around for the rapture. And thankfully, you only get that sick one time. But there's sickness for death. So don't think God failed when somebody dies. We all get sickness to the point of death. And then there's a third kind of sickness. And that is sickness for the glory of God. In my quiet times this week, two different times I read, and I think for your coming week you'll be reading these, John 9 and John 11. The blind man that Jesus spit and made mud and put that in his eyes and healed him. The disciples said, who sinned so that this guy was born blind? And Jesus said, what about anybody's sin? It was for the glory of God that he had this for a season. Okay. The whole point of the sickness is for God to get glory. Two chapters later with Lazarus, Lazarus for a few days dies and is in the tomb. But Jesus, speaking about what would happen, he said, this sickness isn't going to end in death, but it's for the glory of God that this whole thing happened. When our sicknesses, pains, or disabilities become a part of life, it can be purely for God's glory that that happens. Well, how can God get glory through sickness, pain, or disability? Well, there's two different ways. And either one brings Him glory. God can get glory by pouring out an anointing of strength, joy, favor, stamina, so that a person deals with pain, sickness, or disability in a way that they've got joy. They've got a full life, and they're bringing glory to God in spite of the fact that they're having to live with a major issue in their life. Somebody has a stroke and we all want them to be completely healed. And sometimes God says, you know what? I'm going to pour out an anointing for them to walk in joy and fullness even though they struggle to speak and even though one side of their body doesn't function the way that it's supposed to. And God says, I can get glory by them having joy and a full life even as they cope with this terrible setback. You know, somebody experiences an, an illness or an accident and, and maybe they wind up bedridden or in a wheelchair or some, some kind of condition like that and we all think, well, they've got to get healed for God to get glory. And sometimes God says, I'm going to get maximum glory by pouring out an anointing for them to walk through that difficulty and to have joy and fulfillment every single day of their lives and the world's going to be touched and changed by that. That's one way that God gets glory. But there's the other obvious way. All those times when God says, I just want to fix it. And he does this a lot. He loves to do this to just say, yep, you were blind, but you're going to see. And you were crippled, but you're going to walk. This thing that felt like it was going to be a part of your life for the rest of your life, I'm going to take it away. And he gets glory in that too. That's why James says in James 5, if you're sick, call for the church leaders. Have them pray for you and anoint you with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Prayers offered in faith will save those who are sick and the Lord will cure them. 
If you've sinned, you'll be forgiven. So admit your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you will be healed. Prayers offered by those who have God's approval are effective. That's good news, isn't it? Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And we're going to sing and worship. And there's no magic hocus pocus going to happen in here. We're just going to obey the scriptures. We're going to have leaders stationed around the front of the room. And they're going to be armed with the Holy Ghost and oil. And if you'd like to be prayed for, and if you'd like to experience outward anointing, where we're asking for an inward anointing. whether I mean, that may be from A to Z. It may be so that, that you are restored to a right relationship with God. It may be so that, that you would experience God's calling on your life. It may be that you need healing in your body, that you need healing in your heart and your mind. It may be so that you could be free from something that has plagued you and held you in bondage. There's no magic here. But the power of the Holy Spirit is present with us today. And I'm not trying to coerce you into anything. There is no coercion here. What I don't want to have happen is that one single person would let some other distraction, like, what are people going to think? How is this going to look? What if it doesn't work? Don't you let any of those things hold you back. If there's a need in your life and you long for a touch from God, that's all we're going to ask for. Pastor Isaiah and I and other leaders are going to be up here. And it's not we got any, any juju. We just got the Holy Ghost just as people all around you do. And we're just going to pray for one another. Hey, don't be surprised by this. As we worship, God may put it on your heart to walk across the room to somebody else and pray for them. That happens. And sometimes it just weirds us out. Like, what are they going to think? Who cares? If God calls you to do it, there's an anointing that's going to go with it. And you just be obedient to that as we minister to one another. And with simple outward expressions of faith, inward anointing and transformation comes. So would you join me as we open ourselves up to the Lord? Jesus, you are so good. The more we know you, the more we love you. Thank you for how you love us. Thank you for how you show us kindness and favor. We just continue to beg you for a simple thing here today, for fresh anointing. Oh, would you just in a fresh way pour out your Holy Spirit on us? We're a needy people. Our needs are bigger than our resources. But we trust in you. We trust in the work of your Holy Spirit. In this place today, would you save the lost? Would you bind up the brokenhearted? Would you free those in bondage? Would you call clearly to new tasks? Would you pour out new hope and new direction? We open ourselves up to you. And we receive that with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.